As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving and with us today are Andy Mitten and a welcome back to Laurie Whitwell as well. How are we gentlemen? Laurie, you've been on your travels, haven't you? I have. Been to Rome for the weekend, my birthday, bit of a treat for the missus. So uh, I had a nicer Friday night than uh, other people perhaps at Old Trafford, I have to say. Yeah, what were you doing when Manchester United were losing a penalty shootout <laughs> against Championship side Middlesbrough? I was having a bit of carbonara... Um, a bit of uh, a bit of antipasty. Uh, I'm checking my phone to be fair, but we couldn't somehow get a, a dodgy stream over there. So it was your flash score, your update, you know, one by one, uh, no context whatsoever. So, I've, but I've watched the highlights now, the 20 minute long highlights. So I've got some strong opinions ready to voice. Excellent. We'll come to that definitely. Andy, you had the uh, mispleasure of being there. Actually, would you rather have been eating carbonara in a square in Rome? Rather been eating coal out of a mine. <laughs> Than watching that, still pissed off about it, freezing while it was coming out of the ground, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it. But a bad weekend. I'm still annoyed. Yeah, it wasn't great, was it at all? Elanga for Manchester United over the bar and out. Manchester United are eliminated from the FA Cup by Middlesbrough. Let's talk about it then. We'll go straight into it, I guess. Um... I'm sort of finding it hard to be as annoyed as you, Andy, if I'm honest, because I didn't feel like the performance was that bad. I felt like in front of goal it was. Obviously, they had plenty of chances to score, not least, obviously, Ronaldo's penalty. But in terms of the way the team played, that wasn't the annoying thing, was it? What, what's what's irritated you particularly about it? Going out of the FA Cup has irritated me. You're quite right. United didn't play badly at all. I was doing player ratings and... So loads of encouraging signs, especially in the first half, maybe up to like the 60th minute where Middlesbrough had a, had a good spell. United really should have converted the chances. Several, you know, a penalty, there's that one which Bruno had in the second half. And Middlesbrough, who were, who were a good side, who trained in Manchester, thanks to the help of a United fan. I'll be catching up with you this week, mate. We sorted Middlesbrough out to make sure that they were well prepared ahead of Can their, we name and shame? David, David, his mates were Chris Wilder, the Middlesbrough manager, and they were looking for somewhere to train. 
and he helped him because he's a decent lad. But the end result is we're talking here with Boreham Wood being in the FA Cup, but not Manchester United. I blame Dave. I thought that that was the most realistic chance of Manchester United winning a trophy this season. And I'm also pissed off because I went to Anfield yesterday for work. I had to be there at half seven in the morning and it was even windier there. And obviously I was objective and would have covered the game in a neutral manner, but I wouldn't have minded Cardiff City winning, but they got beat. Just cheer you up a little bit, yeah. Yeah, so no, bad, bad weekend. Laurie, from what you saw then, can you be as annoyed as Andy? What, what What's your reflection? I mean, undoubtedly going out of the cup is annoying, definitely. And I think you're right. It, it, it undoubtedly was Manchester United's best opportunity for silverware this year. And if they aren't going to achieve a miracle and win the Champions League, it'll be five years without a trophy. That's the longest run since the late 70s, early 80s under Dave Sexton and Ron Atkinson. I mean, it, it, it's pretty bad, isn't it, really? Yeah, I suppose it's a bit of a detachment for me because I was, um, you know, enjoying my pro spritz at the time. Uh, so, you know, the, the mood was perhaps a bit more jolly than it might have been if I was actually in the Old Trafford Stadium, um, you know, tearing my hair out at Bruno Fernandes hitting the post and Jen Sancho hitting the bar. Okay, he obviously scored as well. Um, you know, and Anthony Langer missing his penalty, unfortunate for the lad. Um, I guess these things happen, but, um, you know, it was it's weird, isn't it? United and penalties. I mean, how? why do the opposition suddenly turn into world beaters from 12 yards? I mean, Villarreal, you know, same thing. Um, I mean, Dean Henderson probably should have saved that one early on um, and it w- would have been a different story, but... It, it put a ghost to rest in my mind from that Europa League final. <laughs> yeah, to be There's fair. all that stuff about, you need to bring Dean Henderson, you need to bring <laughs> Dean Henderson on. I, I well, he's just vocal. watched Middlesbrough knocking eight of them, so <laughs> I don't think he's going to do any better now. So I'm quite, I, I've sort of let that, like that line now, I think, finally. <laughs> I was banging that drum harder than anyone as well at the time, saying that, you know, De Gea's record at penalties was awful and, you know, Solskjaer should have tried something and, and taken a risk to, to change the uh, the outcome there. But, yeah, as it turns out, you know, it's it difficult to save penalties. Um, although, you do, sometimes you don't need to save a penalty as a goalkeeper and you can still run off celebrating, can't you, uh, Ian? You, you were a Brit... Just a bit disappointed with the Borough goalkeeper, the way he celebrated that. Well, I mean, maybe you sort of forgive him getting carried away, but he's just watched seven penalties fly past him into the back of the net and one fly over the bar. And for some reason, he thinks that he's the hero and he's like ran off to sort of like get everyone to chase him. Like, mate, you, you've not done anything. Literally, if I'd been in net, that's what would have happened. If, if any of us had been in net. I mean, Joe, Joe Lumley, you kind of want to do some absolutely fabulous uh, headline, don't you? But you can't even say that he, he did anything particularly good. He was, he was no. pretty bang average, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. Aperol Spritz, have you been paid to say that, Laurie? Don't they sponsor <laughs> Manchester United? I, I, listen, if they do, then I'm, I'm be willing Definitely to... Definitely have done. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for having a bit of Aperol uh, if they want to send me any free samples. Uh, it was quite nice. On Sunday, when I had one outside the Coliseum, overlooking as, as the sun was shining, that was a, a nice respite from the football, at least. Duncan Watmore is a Manchester lad. He started out at United. Crooks is a United fan, proper United fan. Family go to the matches and everything. And Watmore was released by United, and he 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 picked up his career at Altrincham. And I'm told he's a really nice lad, very intelligent lad, very good university degree. His father was very very high level in sports administration, and Clearly a decent player. He's had some terrible, terrible injuries. Uh, I'm not going to say that I'm pleased for him because I'm not because he handballed it. But it was slightly ironic that these two Manchester United-related lads ended up knocking United out of the cup. Nine and a half thousand Borough, belting away following, I've got to say. I, I really like the fact that the FA Cup allows for that. But I'm not going to talk any more about the cup until next season. 
I understood what the situation was in the game because I had various messages coming in. My dad, what is the fucking point of VAR? Utterly ridiculous goal given after clear handball. Various mates. Right, VAR is pointless. And then Rio, I think, Rio Ferdinand was on Twitter, wasn't he? Sort of saying a similar thing. So and I, I only saw it when I got back and I was like, how, how has that been allowed to stand? Um, you know, crazy. But Ronaldo misses a penalty. A lot of things conspired for United to go out the cup. But as Andy says, ultimately, it's a, it's a really... You know, sort of a gloomy moment, really, because it was an opportunity for silverware, and you know, it's a sort of a, a game that drifted by. Ultimately, you know, you look at the options that Ralph Rennick had on the bench, and that's probably one thing that I'd be interested to know. His press conferences in a couple of hours from when we're recording this, and Edison Cavani wasn't available on the bench. You know, he's given him extra time off after his international exploits, but Fred was back. You know, to score a penalty. So, you know, is that was that the right call ultimately? Edison Cavani seems to miss. He's brilliant when he plays, but he does miss, uh, you know, a decent proportion of matches. Um, Jesse Lingard not being available because, you know, where do you draw the line on that? Did he ask for time off to clear his head? Did he not? As, he, as he's come out quite strongly on Twitter and, and said that it was a club suggestion. If he wanted to play, though, I feel like he, he could, you know, would have put his hand up and said, I want to play. So there's, there's but it, it just speaks to then you've got Anthony Langer as your option. You know, to come off the bench. Um, and yes, he's an impressive young man, but against a sort of, you know, perhaps a tiring, uh, Middlesbrough side where a little bit of experience might have got you that one goal just to edge through. I mean, Chelsea, you know, had, had to grind out their win in the FA Cup. Well, the experience to take the penalty as well, to be fair. I mean, you know, you can praise Alanga all you want for stepping up to take it, but, you know, someone maybe with more experience would have stuck it in the back of the net. Um, I was quite encouraged by Ronaldo coming off the pitch, Andy, weren't you? putting his arm around him because I'm sure for a lad who's had a very bright few weeks for Manchester United and Anthony Alanga, he would have appreciated that because Ronaldo, the sentiment seemed to be that it wasn't Alanga's fault. Well, you know, it's as much Ronaldo's fault as anyone's, wasn't it? Yeah, you're right. But it would have been more encouraged if Ronaldo had put his penalty into the net. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no one's putting this on Alanga. He's, he's a young lad. He's been one of the bright spots for Manchester United so far. This season, Ronaldo had other chances. He had that overhead kick early on. He smashed the ball into the, the side netting, if I remember, just after half time. I think he had 10 shots in total. So there was definitely an element of Middlesbrough riding the luck. Um, one Middlesbrough fan, Nick Hall, texted me after the game and just said, We rode our luck. That same Middlesbrough fan in an interview in United We Stand predicted that the game would be one all, then go to extra time. And then Borough would go through on penalties. So he's had his moment in the sun big time, hasn't he? But you're right, Ronaldo, good with the young players. And he wasn't the only one who comforted Ilanga. But I just felt United should have put Middlesbrough out of sight. Yeah, yeah. Played really well in the first half. It was a very good game. Middlesbrough a good side. I really like the way Chris Wilder's teams play football. I liked him when he was at Sheffield United with his three-man defence. But we're talking yet again on a gloomy Monday morning because things haven't gone Manchester United's way. And this time last season, United were first or second in the league and had just knocked Liverpool out of the FA Cup by playing really well. One year on, we're now in the situation uh, that we're in, surrounded by uh, gloom. And if that wasn't bad enough, the fans couldn't get a pint or a pie inside Old Trafford. I mean, what a night for that to happen with 120 minutes of football and penalties. I know. They, there was a power surge. Um, some people have blamed it on the club. The Stretford End was singing, we want the Glazers out. Um, I've tried to dig into the story. I'm told it was 
it was a power surge and there's nothing that the club could, could do about that. Uh, fans were given free food after the match. They would have been given free food at half time, but what the club didn't want to do was make an announcement and everybody to surge down and, and to receive, try and get the free food. So fans leaving the ground got free food, but it, it seemed to wrap into the mood of a bad night. You know, you couldn't even get uh, get some food at, at half time. The Borough fans, obviously, they enjoyed it. The ones I saw were really happy to be at Old Trafford. They were, they were decent people. The Flowers of Manchester was played before the game. There was that big surfer flag across the Stretford end as well. Um, 44 members of the families of the, the eight players who died at Munich were also welcomed into the director's box. So uh, there were some nice appreciative uh, touches there, but I'm, I'm just... I'm just glad that United didn't win. Yeah, Andy, you were at the Munich Memorial on Sunday, weren't you? The 64th anniversary since the Munich air disaster. There's been lots of claim and counterclaim and speculation and rumour online about exactly who was and wasn't there. Can you clarify anything, Andy? Richard Arnold was there. He was in the crowd. He wasn't there in any official capacity. Um, he wasn't on any stage or anything like that. Uh, Wes Brown was there in an official capacity. Um, the first team members... We're not there because of the, the COVID restrictions. Okay, that explains it because there was quite a lot of people saying, why aren't the first team players there? Why isn't the manager there? Because managers have attended in the past. I remember Louis van Gaal being there in 2015. Yeah, I spoke to Nick Cox, head of the academy. He was there. He'd taken the under-13s. One of them read a poem, which was fantastic. And just to see those, those young lads, uh, there were a couple of other coaches, younger coaches there. They were buzzing actually because the 23s had beaten uh, West Ham the day before. So there were a lot of people there, a couple of thousand people I would, I would estimate um, that the services um, was well handled and very respectful. And I think that's what it should be. It's It interests me quite a bit. We should also mention that a couple of hundred United fans went to Munich itself. Some even go to Belgrade. And it has become a, a bigger event, especially around big anniversaries. So I was in Munich on the 60th anniversary and there were a couple of thousand Reds travelled over. And I can remember in the 90s, um, there was basically a dozen people on the forecourt at Old Trafford at four minutes past three on the 6th of February. It has become a much, much bigger deal. There was always usually a, a, a remembrance, a memorial in the game closest to the anniversary, but it's definitely become um, a, a bigger deal. But I was there on Sunday and I thought it was very tastefully done. And I just really like to see younger fans and younger players there learning about the history of the club, which I think is important. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Going back to the game then, uh, you can read Carl Anker's take on The Athletic at the minute, sort of suggesting that Manchester United's identity under Ralph Rangnick is finally starting to kick in and, and starting to work, which is something we've touched upon a little bit over recent podcasts and the sort of suggestion that it was just a case of putting the ball in the back of the net, like we're saying, uh, which is definitely an issue for United. And the goal scoring has dried up under Rangnick compared to Solskjaer. It was the, the other end that was the issue, which which they seem to have solved pretty much. Um, one of the people who've helped solve that is Diogo Dalo, and you've written a, a an in-depth piece, Andy, about the young Portuguese right-back, who, who has impressed in recent weeks. Yeah. I've done what we should do at The Athletic, and that's pick up the phone, speak to people, go and meet contacts. And I spoke to lots of people about Dalo, some of them on the record, ranging from Danny Higginbottom, um, I have been asking Ralph Rangnick uh, about fullbacks in recent press conferences, which, depending on your take, is either the best questions that's ever been asked by a journalist or the worst questions that's ever been asked by a journalist. I'm somewhere in between. You're an absolute disgrace, and how are you even a journalist? It's just mental, absolutely mental. Look, I've got to do a job. I'm going to ask someone on the subject I'm writing about. Yeah, I spoke yeah, to people in Italy about him, about Delo. Uh, I spoke to people in Milan about him. And I built up a big picture of where he's at at the moment in his life and in his career. He's having his best moments since he joined Manchester United in 2018. There's lots of detail in there about what he was doing in Milan and bringing it right up to date more recently. Like when he went to uh, Dubai very, very recently, he took a personal trainer with him. He's been using a nutritionist a lot. He had lots of chats with Paolo Maldini when he was in Milan. And... Two things have led to him being in the position that he's in at the moment. Uh, one is Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who was the absolute go-to man for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He'd not been having a good season. And Ralph Rangnick prefers Diogo uh, Dalot. So Rangnick's arrival has helped him. I also did some digging around in Spain about him. Atletico Madrid tried to sign him, actually, in January. And Borussia Dortmund and Roma, who were managed by... Jose Mourinho, they asked about him this year at various stages because if you were asking him about him in October, you would have thought this is someone who's not getting a sniff. So you've gone for him. If you would have asked me about him at half-time against Villarreal at Old Trafford, I would have said he should never I play I would have again. sold him. <laughs> I would have sold <laughs> him for, for 60 quid because he was getting <laughs> absolutely blitzed by Dan Juma. He was, not he? To yeah. his credit, he's been one of Manchester United's better players. It's not the complete right-back, especially in a league where they've got some of the best right-backs in the world. Uh, Cancelo, um, I saw some kid at Liverpool yesterday who was all right with a double-barrel surname. Um, Chelsea have got a few as well. So the bar is set really high. I'm not saying that the logo is the next Maldini. What I'm saying is he's still young, he's 22. He's having a good moment. He's got to improve in several areas. But he's, he's surrounded by a good group of people. His mates at the club are like... 
Um, Bruno and Fred, the Portuguese speakers, Mata, De Gea, Ronaldo's very good with him as well. So if you're interested, read the article. That's what people like Laurie and myself and Carl do. We try and get insight and information which we'd like to think is worth paying for. Yeah, I remember when Bruno Fernandes first arrived, Diogo Dolo pretty much chaperoned him for the first sort of few <laughs> weeks in Manchester. He lived with him, he did everything together, listened to training, you name it. We interviewed Bruno, uh, trying to think how, how quickly it was, probably only a couple of weeks into his Manchester United career, and Diogo Dolo sat in the room and listened to it all. Not because he was interested in the interview, he was just waiting to give him a lift home, and he thought it would be better waiting in the room with us than it would be... Um, outside the room and he was heckling and laughing at different points and stuff. It was quite quite nice to see the dynamic that the two of them had together. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of Portuguese speakers now. Another interesting part of that article was listing how many Portuguese speakers there are. Add that to the Spanish speakers as well. Of course, we've got the the slight link there between the, the two languages and, and it sort of outnumbers the English almost, which is interesting. Yeah, there's been games this season where there's been more Portuguese speakers on the pitch than English speakers. And a quiz question for both of you. Ooh. Name the two Portuguese speakers who are in Manchester United's first team who are not from a country where Portuguese is the main language, like Brazil and, and Portugal. But they both speak fluent Portuguese and they play for Manchester United in the first team. Paul Pogba, does he speak Portuguese? No, I don't think so. One matter? He probably does, but he's not one of them. No, as I say, no. he speaks quite right. a few languages. Common he? sense here now. Is, is so it someone who's did, played in Portugal did, then? Lindelof. There Victor you go. Lindelof. There we go. Victor well Lindelof, done. yeah. Well done, Laurie. That's 60 <laughs> quid for you. And we just want one more who's played in Portugal and speaks Portuguese and he speaks several other languages. And people will be listening to this now. Screaming at us, won't they? Shouting his screaming name. at us. And he's a midfielder. And Nemanja Matic. He's well a done. As well, oh, well yeah. done. That's 24 quid for you. Yeah, sorry to everyone who was screaming at Laurie and I. I'm glad I said it because Laurie didn't look like he was getting that. I, I was I was thinking Scott McTominay, Phil Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Taking some sneaky Portuguese lessons on Tuesday night every week, yeah. Yeah. Is, is the low, the first choice clear right back in your mind now, Laurie? Do you think he's done enough to cement that? Because he's started pretty much all the matches, hasn't he? Under Rangnick, I think only a couple of games now, Aaron Wan-Bissaka's been in front of him due to injury a little bit, but yeah. mainly because of preference, it seems. Yeah, I think it is preference now with Ranić. Certainly, it was the case with the you know the four-two-two-two because you need wingers, uh, you need uh, fullbacks to get forward as as if wingers in in that system. Um, it's slightly tweaked, I suppose, with the four-three-three, but nonetheless, you do need people that are confident on the ball in those in those wide areas. Um, and and Dalot just has. Is that more so than Wambasaka? You know, Wambasaka's had some great one-on-one defensive displays, but he hasn't kicked on as United would have hoped he would have done. Um, you know, you can go back and perhaps say, I don't think United ever really wanted to spend fifty million on him. You know, that that kind of price tag made him out to be right. He's our starting right back for a number of years. When when in reality his quality level wasn't at that point, and he'd played one season for Crystal Palace in the Premier League, so. It was perhaps always a skewed perception that he he was you know United's number one. You know he, he played more minutes than you know most other outfield players in the last two seasons. It's it's been crazy how much he's been used really. Um, so Dalot is is providing good competition. I sort of wrote a piece maybe a year eighteen months ago when it was looking the other way and it was like why isn't he getting a look in at United? Um, and one of the things that came from that was he was a bit timid around the place and, and, and Solskjaer probably wanted someone with a bit more fire in his belly and. 
kind of aggression in his play. And I think I'm actually seeing that a bit more. And Andy's piece touches on it where... Seeing more of his character, definitely. Certainly, you? yeah. You've, you've got, you know, he, he's, he, the social media strand that he's got, it does, I know we, we've debated about what we want to see on social media, but you kind of feel a little bit of authenticity there and, and the fact that he's, he's quite demonstrative on the pitch, um, you know, after he scored his penalty, for example, against Borough. Um, and, and you feel that perhaps he's coming out of his shell with, with having more Portuguese speakers there. And obviously we've, we've touched on it a little bit with the Ronaldo element and, and is that, can it be a bit cliquey sometimes? I think that's something to perhaps guard against and make sure that, that you know all players are you know kind of communicating with each other. Clearly, you're going to naturally um, sort of shift towards players that speak your own language and you've got more in common with. But at the same time, you you, do, you don't want it to become something that's uh, you know a, a them and us kind of thing. But f- but from his point of view, I think he seems like a you know a, a willing uh, participant in trying to get forward and, and putting in crosses. He, he certainly could be better at his crossing, but I feel like. It's, he hits the target more often than Wan-Bissaka did do. Um, you know, maybe there's some stats to, to bear that out or not. <laughs> maybe I'm talking gibberish, but you kind of feel like with him in the team, on the ball, you know, it's not a bad option uh, right back. And I think just for what you need, United need right now, be- better than Wan-Bissaka. Yeah, go and have a look at Andy's piece if you want to know more about Diogo Dalot and his journey to this point in his Manchester United career. That's up on The Athletic at the minute. Uh, sticking with fullbacks, there is one Manchester United fullback still in the FA Cup. Uh, that's Brandon Williams, and he's impressing at Norwich under new boss Dean Smith. Player of the month for January for them. Uh, played a key role in the win over Wolves in the FA Cup as well, and they'll go to Anfield in the next round. So I think we'll all have another reason to support Norwich in the fifth round of the FA Cup. Sorry, Laurie, were you putting your hand up then? Yes, yeah, so I was going to say, he's been sent off against Liverpool and he's in the past under 18 level, so he'll definitely get stuck in. I'll be well up for that then, won't he? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Good luck, Brandon. Um, and as well, James Garner. I saw a lot of Manchester United fans on social media on Sunday talking about him and his corner kick-taking ability, considering Manchester United's record, Andy, this season. He impressed for Nottingham Forest in that brilliant win against Leicester as well, didn't he? He impressed last season for them as well. It was a brilliant win by Forrest. I'd love to see Forrest back in the Premier League. Great old historic club. Nottingham's a good city. And and Laurie and I have spoken about Garner on this podcast in the past. He's someone who's very highly rated at Manchester United. Um, they were going to look at him this season to see if he was ready. No. When he went to Forrest, he were really, really struggling. Again, there were some doubts asked about is that the right move for him? He surely should be going to a Premier League club or a club that's expected to be at the top end of the championship. But he's doing well. Maybe he'll take another loan, um, but absolutely fantastic temperament and good range of passing, clearly improving and, and enjoying playing uh, first-team football all the time. So I'm pretty optimistic about James Garner. Is he going to be the next Michael Carrick? I don't know. But I think his career is in a good place at the moment. I think at this point as well, we should probably mention that Manchester United are still in the FA Youth Cup, uh, which is obviously promising uh, for the young players at United at the minute. And they've got a huge game this week against Everton, haven't they, Laurie? A big occasion for them. Yes, at Old Trafford, which is always always carries a bit of significance, doesn't it? I remember going um, against Wigan in previous seasons and, and, and Leeds they've had there as well. Um, when I think Hannibal Mesbury was told that he was... a uh, Shit side show Bob. That's that is not easy to say. What did you just say? <laughs> I'm not very good side show Bob. Uh, the Leeds fans were, were, were saying. Oh, a shit side show Bob. It's hard right, to okay. say that, isn't it? <laughs> well, you made it very, very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he, he came through it. And I think that's the kind of thing, you know, it's this first foray into what, what 
you know, men's football might be like where you've got a crowd and, you know, you're getting stick from opposition fans. So, you know, I'm sure Everton <laughs> fans will, will come over. Um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll pop down. It'd be interesting to see if Frank Lampard makes the trip, you know, new Everton manager if he comes down. Uh, Ralph Ranyard, you'd hope, might, might show an interest and, and see, um, what the next batch along uh, are going to do. United have got a new, um, well, we're saying new under, under 18s manager in Travis Binion who took over from Neil Ryan, um, who moved up to the 23s to assist Neil Wood, um, in the summer. So, um, and he, we spoke to him um, sort of briefly after uh, one of the youth league games against Atalanta. He's got a real sort of nice personality about him from Sheffield. Um, I think he knew, knew Nick Cox, who's the academy manager, from their Sheffield days together. And um, so hopefully, you know, he's. We'll see, won't we? Whether you know, it's not not like the be all and end all. What what happens in this competition? But we've seen before when that's given United fans a bit of an indication as to you know whether or not there's there's players in the academy level that actually might have you know one day future in the game um so yeah, it should be a good game to get to is neil ryan any relation to jimmy ryan andy yeah neil's um jimmy's son oh um, is that right yeah neil um was a semi pro footballer uh, he went over to america if anyone's interested in reading more about him we did interview him for the athletic uh, last year and um jimmy obviously was a player and Alex Ferguson's assistant for a time, but Neil has uh, risen through the ranks, coaching players from a very young age group and coached lots of the players who've come through and he's well-respected as a coach, he's a decent person. And now he's working with Neil Wood, as Laurie says, uh, with the the 23s. So uh, he's got United in his blood, Neil Ryan. Yeah, and the 23s, Laurie, had a great result this week as well, didn't they? Yeah, three one against West Ham at, at, at Lee Sports Village, um, which um, you know West Ham are a really highly regarded team at that level. Um, you know, it's Premier League two, and and, and often, um, you know, they've had a sort of pretty threadbare squad to pick from, really, in, in that twenty threes level because they're trying to get them opportunities, perhaps in the first team. You know, obviously Hannibal Mesbury, for example, was on the bench against Middlesbrough, um, so or, or out on loan. You know, players that could you know easily play at that level. Um, but so it's a really you know positive performance I think and, and encouraging certainly from a, for a couple of players um, Zidane Iqbal put a really lovely ball through to Demani Mella so Demani Mella scored a couple of goals and Shola Shoretire who you know is is he's really well thought of you know he's he's perhaps you know, he was very early on getting um, a professional contract at Manchester United uh, and perhaps has, has not quite accelerated this season as as it was hoped um, but he put a really nice pass in for one of the goals so. Um, a sort of good sign of where he's at, and, and Alvaro Fernandez played as well. Um, he was involved in some of the good moments, and he's been training with the first team this week. Um, and he's had a really good spell training with the 23s. Um, a left back that likes to get forward, quite tall. Um, one of the signings that United made before the Brexit regulations changed the rules, so that you couldn't sign under 18s players. So they kind of got in before the gate closed on that one. And I think I don't know. I've seen him quite a few times. I'm quite encouraged by what I see. So hopefully he's having a good experience training with Ranić's team as well. Yeah, good to shine a light on that. And I think this is a good time as well to mention a piece that's on The Athletic at the minute. A lovely tribute to Jimmy Davis on what would have been his 40th birthday, of course, a former Manchester United youngster, uh, as told by his teammates Danny Webber and Bowden Jordich that Danny Taylor has put together. Uh, a really, really sad story. I'm sure Manchester United fans will remember the tributes at the time to Jimmy Davis. Um, and just a nice a nice piece to market. A lovely read, that, Laurie. Yeah, I thought Danny Taylor did a really, really good job on it. And, and it showed... A sign that I, you know, wasn't aware of. We all remember, you know, um, all the squad wearing his number and name um, after winning the FA Cup, and um, it sort of, you know, I think that showed how 
you know, um, well thought of he was. And this is kind of a, a kid that hadn't really broken through, but clearly had great personality around the place, behind the scenes. And uh, one of the um, points that Danny makes in the piece is that it was Roy Keane's idea to have, you know, the name and number on the back of his shirt, which I think shows, you know, the kind of calibre of, of the guy that we're talking about. Um, really nice quotes from Darren Fletcher as well, who was a couple of years younger than him. So you've kind of got that current reference point to sort of see where Jimmy Davis was and just a really sad situation um, that he was driving back um, you know, back back to Watford. He was on on loan at Watford at the time and um, got into a car crash. But really, um, I just say it, it's obviously a sensitive topic, but I think a really worthwhile one for people to read. He was a popular lad. He'd been on loan. He'd been to Royal Antwerp. He'd been at, at Swindon and and Watford. And I remember writing about it at the time. He'd been described as a life and soul of the party, a real bubbly character who, who liked karaoke and died way way too young and he, I remember him playing for United's first team it was a Worthington Cup game at, at Highbury November 2001 he also made the, the bench in one of those games uh, against Deportivo La Coruña just really sad but I think it's also really nice that he's remembered and people keep his memory alive yeah absolutely go and check that piece out on The Athletic at the minute by Danny Taylor if you want to know more Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, as the old saying goes, there are no easy games in the Premier League. But Manchester United have a match this weekend against the team who they beat a few weeks ago and have only won one Premier League game at home in the last 12 months. Manchester United are going to Turf Moor to take on Burnley, Andy. How confident are you feeling? Because we should be pretty confident looking at it on paper, shouldn't we? Yeah, I'm just typing weather Burnley as you ask me this question to see what it's going to be like. <laughs> it's not that bad. Not that bad. I think I'm just going soft. I've been spent too much time in Spain. Right, weather Burnley, 95% chance of rain. So that's what I'm Come expecting and, and pretty windy as well. I think Manchester United have got to beat Burnley. I've got mixed feelings because United actually do well at Turf Moor. They do, yeah. Um, they do they really do. well. The, the worry is usually what Burnley do at Old Trafford, but Burnley have been desperate this season. I don't think that they're going to stay up. I like Burnley being in the in the Premier League. I was really worried when their ownership um, change went through. I just thought, whoa, why are more people not digging into this? That just There were red flags all over the shop um, with me for Burnley because they don't have a huge fan base. The ground only holds 20,000. I remember a couple of years ago playing uh, over the Christmas period when Andreas Pereira 
Remember him? Was man of the match. Had a very good game at, at Burnley. Manchester United need to be winning games like this in a more convincing manner than United have done at other struggling teams. Obviously drew at Newcastle away, won at Norwich away, but didn't really convince there. So following that defeat against Middlesbrough, which I'm not going to talk about anymore ever, United have really got to be beating Burnley away. I'm looking forward to it. Five minutes before the game, I think that Manchester United are absolutely going to win this. But as I've said, that can evaporate pretty quickly. It's going to be a very physical game in difficult conditions. And um, there'll be it's a hard ticket for that away end. So United fans will be right behind it. Biggest allocation in the in the Premier League, believe it or not. There in Leicester, get that big stand behind the goal. Reds always drinking the cricket club behind the away end. So looking forward to the match. But United have got to win. Got to win. Yes, Manchester United do need to win because actually, okay, they're out of the FA Cup. That means that there is more focus on the Premier League. There is more focus on the Champions League. But they'll be absolutely desperate now to claim this fourth spot, won't they? Even more so if there's no silverware. Yeah, I'm just thinking back to what Andy was saying earlier about you know the difference you know from this time to, to last year, and it was it was only January in you know, 2021 when United went to Burnley and won one nil and went three points clear at the top of the Premier League. So. Pogba does, won it. Pogba, Pogba deflected Pogba, goal, yeah. Yeah, nice, nice finish. That was the point where he was really in, in gear and you know, he went away to Fulham, didn't he, and scored that fabulous goal there that helped win United the game. So it was, you know, you sort of think back and, and you know, it, was, it was behind closed doors, those, those sequence of matches. Um, so this will be certainly, you know, you'd think Tuesday night, a more febrile atmosphere certainly than that was. Um, but, you know, as you say, you look, look at the, the points they got, they're on 36 points from 17 games at that point. Now they're on 38 points from 22 games. So it's a world of difference. And you've got Tottenham there, Arsenal, you know, West Ham haven't gone away yet. So it's a real crucial game to get points in. And you just hope that United can grind it out. I mean, you know, Burnley haven't haven't looked great when you said earlier before, was it one win in 12 months at home or something? Against um, Brentford in October. Other than that, it was January 2020 against Villa, the last time they, they won in the Premier League at home. Yeah, it's a really bad... You know, like Turf Moor used to be that game that everyone said, oh, you know, cold Tuesday night at Stoke and then it got replaced with Burnley. Andy's worried about the weather. You don't need <laughs> well, to worry about it on paper. Haven't they only played like five games in the year though? Anyway, so it's maybe slightly skewed stat because <laughs> they've been calling off games, you know, every other week it seems to me. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Andy. Burnley don't seem like they've got the, the same sort of togetherness, perhaps that they've had in, in recent years. Maybe that's a little bit unfair. But certainly, Chris Wood departing, you know, I know they've, they've, they've signed replacement, but you know, it's going to be a period of adjustment for them. Yeah, their their hope is that Wout Weghorst, they, uh, they've got the better end of the deal with him because his, his track record in Holland and particularly in Germany where he was at Wolfsburg, they're, they're, they're pretty sort of sure that he's going to be a, an adequate replacement for Chris Wood, who, who'd not had a great season for Burnley either, to be honest. Uh, Maxwell Corne had been the high point before injury and then going off to the Africa Cup of Nations. He was back for the for the draw against Watford at the weekend, the nil-nil draw. But there'll be a lot of hope placed on Corne and Veghorst, the new look front line, definitely. Mm. Corne's really impressed me when he's, when he's played. I mean, some of the goals he's scored for Burnley this season have been outrageous skill, haven't they? Um, so I think if they can get those two guys sort of understanding each other's movements, then yeah, maybe they could cause United some problems. But as you reflected on the game at home against Burnley only a few weeks ago, was probably the most comfortable United have been in a victory. That's I know it, yeah. that, you know, they pulled one back. And the goals weren't exactly like you know, off the training pitch, you know, passing through Burnley. It was, there was perhaps a little bit of fortune in terms of Scott McTominay really had his shooting boots on, didn't he, that night? And so so maybe it might be, you know, a little bit 
I can I can imagine. I mean, you look look at the way Burnley have played last two games, two clean sheets away to Arsenal and, and at home to Watford, and and they'll certainly set up with the intention of keeping it tight for as long as they can, and then trying to nick a goal. Conceded less away. goals than Manchester United in the Premier League this season, Burnley. Ouch. That 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 worries me, and it also worries me that they've only won one of their nineteen games, but so had Newcastle when Manchester United went went there. So Burnley got a new striker, Cornet, as you said. I thought he was brilliant when he played for. For Leon, the type of player who could keep Burnley up, but no, look, look, look at the league table. Burnley, a bottom of the league, and as Laurie said, that game at Old Trafford uh, five or six weeks ago, especially in the first half, I think that was the best we've seen Manchester United play under Ralph Rangnick. So win, win, win against a team who cannot win. Yeah, I was at Burnley on Friday to preview their game against Watford, uh, and I think. The, the start then, and it'll be the same now because it was a nil-nil draw. I think only Norwich have scored fewer goals in the Premier League this season, but in terms of their defensive record, in the bottom half of the league, no one has conceded fewer than Burnley. And I think it was United and West Ham who had actually conceded more than them. So it's going to be a case of trying to break them down, I think, isn't it? Again, Laurie, it's going to be that challenge for United. From the Cup game, do you see changes then coming into this match? Because it's pretty much full strength, wasn't it, against Middlesbrough other than the goalkeeper? Yeah, I, w- I would anticipate maybe a freshening up. Yeah, I mean, I suppose clearly De Gea will come back in. Um, I, I mean, the, the Pogba situation is interesting that he started him straight away. You know, there wasn't a case of him um, coming off the bench in a game to, to warm up. And, I, you know, if it's the kind of the question we've had about Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba ever since they're both at the club together, can they play together? And you sort of think that 4 3 3 on paper, it should work. Um, you know, if you've got that real disciplined energetic midfielder which Scott McTominay could could be anchoring it all um, and, and I guess you know the, the creativity that they had against Middlesbrough okay they were from the championship at least that shows that you know, that, that, that that is what they need against Burnley they need to have width um, I think certainly they can't be kind of pumping balls into the box for you know Ben Mee and, and James Tarkovsky to just head clear because they'll, they'll do that all day um, but I think they need to have that Sort of ability to get in behind them, uh, round the sides, um, and I think Paul Pogba does give them that. There was a couple of really nice passes, wasn't there? And his his the way he won the penalty, drifting off behind the defender and and kind of you know getting his body in the right place. That's the kind of thing that I think will hopefully un- unpick Burnley. Um, so I, I could see him going with the same team for sure. Um, yeah, I don't really see where you'd, you'd make the changes. Perhaps Fred would would come in if you wanted to take out Pogba and have Pogba as an option off the bench. Um, but yeah, I think it was a pretty pretty strong squad against Middlesbrough. So um, yeah, I could see him going with the same same kind of team anyway. Yeah, you mentioned Tarkovsky. He's a big Manchester United fan as well. Grew up in New Moston uh, in North Manchester. I hope he doesn't enjoy facing his boyhood team as much as Brooks and Watmore the other day, Andy. In fact, my dad's going to the match turf more with Tarky's dad, Stanner. So um, he's always torn as to who's supporting, whether he's supporting Burnley or Manchester United when they face off. Tell him to go easy, but he's not going to, is he? The Burnley always look really up for it. I just think in terms of the technical ability, um, they're not in Manchester United's league. And when it goes Manchester United's way, you get the results like United have had at Turf Moor. And when it goes Burnley's way, you get some of the results that they've had at Old Trafford. But I think the the wind has come out of their sails a little bit. And that's why the bottom of the league um, and, and, and Manchester United should be getting a a win there but Tarkovsky's been one of Burnley's um, best players and I read an interview with uh, Ben Mee um, and he was just talking about the frustration of this season they were hit particularly hard with Covid as well so things have not gone well for them and while I'd like them to stay up I hope their recovery starts in about 
three days' time. <laughs> we can all agree with that, definitely. Uh, Manchester United need the points, of course, like we're saying, in the battle for fourth. Uh, there's a staff article up on The Athletic at the minute, lots of different contributors, including Carl Anker, to that about the picture of that battle for Champions League football for next season in the Premier League. And March is going to be a huge month for that. But before that, Manchester United take on Burnley. They face Southampton and Brighton. They face Leeds and they face Watford in the Premier League. So maximum points from that which is achievable still for United despite the up and down form could put them in a brilliant position of course heading into an important month and a Manchester derby to kick off March as well don't forget you can get a 33% discount off a subscription to The Athletic to read all these articles that we've talked about on the podcast today also add free versions of the podcast as well go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to get a third off and we'll be back on Thursday won't we um, are you both at Turf Moor then Tomorrow night, Laurie Andy? Yeah. Carl's at Turf Moor for us. Is he? Okay. Are you going to have a, a, another Carbonara at home, Laurie? Try and recreate that, that Roman ambience just in case things don't go well again? I'm torn. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, exactly. I'm trying to, you know, shall, shall I leave it as, as, as the past, as a, as a preserved memory to cherish, or shall I try and recreate it? I think if I do go for it, I might, I might just go for some garlic bread. Garlic bread? That's right, garlic bread. <laughs> okay. Andy, you'll be there, won't you? It's a great stadium, Turf Moor. It's brilliant. The main stand there, I don't think that's been touched since the 1970s. They've just given the, the, the seats a lick of paint. That's the only thing that they've done to that. It's brilliant. That's called the, the Bob Lord stand. And he was a very controversial former chairman. And when that stand was built, am I allowed to go into stadium geek mode here? They put heaters under every seat. And I think in the cricket field stand behind the end as well. So you could actually watch the match in comfort with heat coming through. But that idea, if I'm not mistaken, was... Uh, quickly put to one side when they realised how expensive it was uh, to do that. So relative luxury at the time. Bob Lord was a, a controversial uh, visionary. It's, it's a decent Premier League ground and it's a proper football town as well. And I like the fact that people in Burnley support Burnley and that you don't see many Liverpool and Manchester United oh, 100%. shirts Very passionately there. as well, yeah. I, I think 100%. that is a good thing. I really do. And, it, and it's a very proud football town with a really good football in history. Burnley Football Club lost more players in World War One than any other uh, club. So there's a real togetherness about the town. Even they go into battle together. And I think that Sean Dyche has brought that together because... Uh, they've not. They didn't have a, a really wealthy owner. They, a lot of their achievements have been done uh, on merit. It's not a fashionable location. This isn't somebody looking and thinking, okay, I'm going to buy Chelsea or I'm going to buy Watford because it's close to London. It's Burnley and life's hard in Burnley, but it's a proud football club in a, in a proud town. And that's enough for me bigging them up because I want them to lose their match. End of. End of, definitely. Laurie, Andy, been brilliant to have you with us as always. Thank you for that little treat at the end, Andy. Always nice just to get an update on what's going on in your mind. So that's brilliant. Um, we'll be back on Thursday, of course, uh, with a review to Burnley and also a preview of Southampton. Let's hope it goes better than Borough. See you next time. Bye-bye. Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, 
has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.